Alrighty, everybody. Welcome back. I'm sure you know what it is. It is a Monday. We settled into this routine, and hopefully this podcast is a part of your routine, but we've got you another episode of Monday Madness with myself, your host, Tavis Killian. And uh, it looks like maybe we shouldn't get too settled into these routines because we could be getting back to normality. Today is April 27th, and it is the first day of the Safer at Home Ordinance here in Colorado. Now, a lot of states are making this transition pretty soon, or currently, where they're moving from safe at home to safer at home. Now, what does this mean? I don't have a damn clue. It basically means that instead of enforcing, I guess, you're just recommended to stay at home. So, I didn't see a lot of enforcement before, but it seems like most people, at least in this state, were taking their threats and recommendations pretty seriously. But... On the way to work this morning, I definitely saw more people than usual, so I'm excited. We're all sick of this. We want to be done. We want to get out of the house, and while I've been getting out of the house, I know there's a lot of people who haven't been as fortunate because they don't have a lot of the great natural resources that Colorado has, so let's stay strong. This doesn't really mean much, I guess, this transition. It's a slow transition, but it looks like we're headed in the right direction, even if nothing much has changed, it seems. But to open up with some juicy news, quarter one earnings will be released in the next week or two for most companies within oil and gas. If you are invested, this is definitely something to keep an eye on. In terms of the majors, we have ExxonMobil, Shell, Total, BP, and ConocoPhillips, just to name a few. And on a slightly smaller scale, we also have Cabot, Continental, Liberty, and CRC. I personally am pretty excited to skim through that Whiting report that should be coming out on Wednesday to see if there was any good reason that the execs walked away with $14.6 million in bonuses, although I'm skeptical we'll find anything out because that's, that's pretty difficult to justify when the rest of your employees uh, suffered pretty hard. Although these numbers will reflect some of the impacts of COVID-19, these numbers should be taken with a grain of salt as the restrictions and the lockdowns only really hit the U.S. in around March. Although things weren't great at the start of this quarter, they were significantly better than negative $35 a barrel. As WTI is only trading at about $12.60 as of this recording on April 27th, it seems that things will be grim moving forward, especially for quarter two. Like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, many states are making this slow transition back to normality. In Colorado, you know, we're now at the safer at home rather than safe at home. Like I said, I, I don't really know what the difference is. I'd wager that some of the states that are beginning to see protests, like Texas and Michigan, especially where uh, it's pretty bad, will likely begin to enforce these ordinances with uh, $1,000 fines and the potential for six months of jail time that they have been threatening. All it takes is a few examples of people to really scare the others into respecting these laws, and I think that gathering for protests is probably the least effective way to get your point across to the state government, is you may risk getting sick and prolonging this economic downturn. This bodes poorly for oil and gas, especially in the case of Texas, because increased restrictions like this will only continue to limit the demand that the world has for oil. Not to mention that the storage is nearing full maximum capacity. Bit redundant, I know, but we've been talking about that here for a couple of weeks now. I mean, speaking of capacity, I'd like to take this time to discuss the homeless. A rather jarring segue, I know, but I am speaking about the homeless oil that is popping up worldwide. Dozens of tankers have begun to make their way towards Italy and Turkey due to their proximity to Maltese ports and relatively lax rules around uh, just the 
working right off the coast, waiting for these oil prices to rebound. Bringing it back to the good old United States, in Southern California, something you'd expect to see is a bunch of surfers on the coast. Well, right now on Seal Beach, a very popular surf spot and recreational area, well, it was up until quarantine times, there's about 20 ships right off the coast, 20 tankers, also waiting, waiting for these commodity prices to go up. Typically, a really great benchmark for how much oil is in the United States is just looking at the Cushing Hub in Cushing, Oklahoma. In Cushing, there's a bunch of storage containers, and the best way I can describe them is kind of like uh, you opened a can of tuna, uh, but you opened it too much and the lid fell in, right? And wherever that lid falls, you know how much tuna's in the can. If you had an empty can, the lid would fall all the way to the bottom. If you had a full can, it would just kind of sit at the top. That's exactly how these tanks work. If the container is full, the top is floated up and matches the height of the walls. If it's empty, the top is low. And for a while now, people have been using satellite imaging to go over the tankers and measure these shadows. But even just general photos of the hub in Oklahoma right now shows you that a lot of these tanks are chock full, right at the top, matching the height of the walls, and uh, not a lot of space left. They're trying to keep space so they can have options, but it's just not there. People are holding out because they want their tanks to be the last ones filled. Everyone wants to be the last empty tank because it allows them options significantly better than paying someone else to take the oil off of their hands. It allows them to be the receiver of that deal, but it will not be long until companies are forced to fill their reserves, and I'm not too excited to see what solutions truly desperate companies will use to dispose of their oil, well, for free, since that's a whole lot cheaper than paying someone to take it. I don't like to think that that could happen in this industry, but I think some people out there will get truly desperate with these commodity price points. While this news does certainly seem terrible, and quarter two without a doubt will be absolutely abysmal with a slow, slow recovery of prices thanks to all this homeless oil, there is good news for natural gas. Rather than steal the thunder, I'm going to direct you to rarepetro.com. The Rare Petro team has been working hard to scrounge up information and predictions for the future of natural gas. And Kevin Olson, a Rare Petro team member, has recently compiled all of that information into an exceptional periodical. While I would love to talk about it, there are just too many numbers for me to read to you, and the ideas are much better hashed out by Kevin than I could ever do by just speaking on this podcast. So be sure to subscribe to our periodicals as we will have more coming out and read through the team's great work. While I do hate to bring it back to the bad news, it was revealed earlier this morning that Diamond Offshore Drilling has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. So far, Whiting and Diamond have been the only two majors to file this month, but I think May will be rough for many more people. If I had to guess, I would say Chesapeake will go under soon, even though they've taken steps to restructure and condense their stocks. They just have way too big a pool of debt to rebound from right now, especially at $12 oil. Occidental is, in, I would say, somewhat risky waters too, so that could be good news for someone looking to pick up the remains of both Oxy and Anadarko for a cheap, cheap price. And I think that kind of tallies everything up for the past week. I mean, we're still quite in shock as an industry about what happened last Monday, and uh, we're still coming off of that, so most of the news is structured around, well, those terrible, terrible prices. And while it does seem like health-wise things might be getting better for the oil and gas industry, things are just getting crazier. I mean, Energy Transfer, uh, a pipeline company in Texas, they asked the Texas Railroad Commission to allow their pipelines to idle so they could turn them into storage for around 2 million barrels of oil. 
that's just crazy. I know some people might say that this isn't unprecedented with the amount of storage that we are filling and just the terrible, terrible demand. Maybe only 70 million barrels demand a day worldwide. So, you know, while it does get pretty crazy, I mean, I guess I guess the rest of the world is looking pretty crazy too. I mean, Trump, he did say that potential disinfectant injections could help you and I was reading that four people have already been admitted to the hospital for drinking bleach. So if there's a few things I want you to learn from this episode, it's one, things are going to be very tough for this next month in quarter two, and two, you should never drink bleach. I, I, I never thought I'd have to say that on this podcast, but in case there's any of you out there heavily considering it or getting UV light inside of your body somehow, uh, I, I wouldn't do anything. I'm no health professional, but I think drinking bleach is probably detrimental I think the cons outweigh the pros, but we will have another industry leader spotlight episode coming out this week. We were able to speak with John Herring of Warhorse Petroleum, and I think that was a great interview. And if you didn't catch the last one with Anthony McDaniels, please go to our website and check that out too. So a lot of good content out there. Keep yourself in the know because arming yourself with information is probably the next best thing you can do if you're like me and can't quite get a conventional engineering or service job within oil and gas. So until we see you next time, take care, everybody.